Hi there, I'm James Dapache and this is Coffee and a Case Note. So let's take five individuals. They go into business together making organic products. Right? The way they do it is they all become shareholders of an entity. And these five, and five doesn't really go into three, but let's turn these five into three groups. There's one husband and wife family group. There's another husband and wife family group. And there's another individual who, speaking loosely, represents his family as well. And in essence, these five go into business together in the organics industry, and each group nominates a director. So this group has a director, this group has a director, and this little solo group over here has a director. So we've got this company trading in the organic industry, three directors, five shareholders. Yep. Good news is things start going well. The wheels start turning over, people start, start buying organic stuff, and so uh, what is considered is that for asset protection purposes, for tax minimization, what we should do is have a restructure. And so, um, with the advice of an accountant, the five shareholders and this entity over here with the three directors go through a restructure. And I'll just walk you through it because understanding this restructure is the heart of today's discussion. We have our company, our trading entity. Now let's just move it over here in our imagination. It continues to trade. Now what happens is this trading entity sells its IP in the creation of the products and also in the know-how, the techniques for selling them to this new entity over here. And what happens is the trading entity charges license fees to this entity here. I withdraw that. This entity here charges license fees to the trading entity in order for the trading entity to use this IP, right? So the IP that used to be trading shifted over to this, what might be thought of as a holding entity. And the way money changes hands between the holding entity and the trading entity is by way of license fee charged by this entity to this entity. And the license fee is essentially the way to get the profits out of the trading entity. So the trading entity has nominal assets, not a lot of cash in the bank because it's paying all these license fees to the holding entity. Now, the holding entity, hello there. Do I have a second one? Thank you very much. I'll certainly take it. Thank you. Greed is good. Thank you. Um, oh, that's a pleasant surprise. <laughs> We've got this holding entity and it holds these license fees on trust for the family trustees of each of our groups. So we've got one trustee for this group, one trustee for uh, this group, and one trustee for this group here. Does that make sense? So we've got the profits of the trading entity flowing to the holding company. Each of the family trustees for each of these groups um, is a unit holder in this uh, holding entity, which is, uh, operates as a unit trust. Does that make sense? We've got money coming out of the trade, into the holding and then into those three family trusts. That's how the money comes out. Great. So these five shareholders, as part of the restructure, they all sign up. They get their advice from the accountant. Forgive me. They get their advice. They say, yeah, fine. This is going to get the assets out of there. So the assets aren't exposed. This is going to be good for tax. This is a good restructure. They sign up. Now, we get to the heart of today. We are dealing with an oppression claim by the wife of one of these groups. 
The only way she gets money out, remember, is via the trading entity, paying to the holding entity, down to the family trust. And so the only way she gets money out is from the family trust. Now, tragically, her entitlement to payment from that family trust is contingent upon her remaining married to, the, to her husband. The marriage breaks down, and so what she finds herself left with is this shaky entitlement, and now indeed broken entitlement, to a discretionary payment from this family trust um, and shares in this company over here, because remember she's one of the five shareholders, which is sort of worth nothing, because remember this company doesn't have anything in it, in it anymore. It's described in the judgment as a shell. So what she's got is shares in a company not worth anything and no entitlement to distributions of the profit that goes from here to here, down to here, and then down to here. So what she says is corporate oppression. What she says is, Section 232 of the Corporations Act, this is commercially unfair. What has happened as a result of this restructure is that my entitlement, which might have been worth something before the restructure, because I own shares in a company that was worth something. This is good fun, isn't it? Is now nothing, and that is commercially unfair. And so I should get Section 233 orders for either my shares to be bought out, shares in this, or we should wind up the whole thing, or the various transactions that led to the restructure should be unwound. In short, she fails. Now, why does she fail? And um, <laughs> for anyone who had a why do we fail Master Bruce Batman reference uh, come into their head uh, when I said that, congratulations, you're not alone. Why does she fail? She fails because Section 232 of the Corporations Act is relating to commercially unfair conduct. And what our plaintiff in this scenario said is, oh, the result of all this stuff, of this going here, going here, going here, going here, is unfair to me. And what the court had to say was, regardless of whether that's true or not, conduct is at the heart here. And your claim is resultant only. You're trying to point to a result. And what you need to do to succeed in your oppression claim is to point to the commercially unfair conduct. And you signed these documents. You thought they were for your benefit. Sadly, the finances didn't work out the way you'd thought. And I'm afraid there's no commercially unfair conduct there. And that was found at first instance, at trial. That was then confirmed on appeal, which left our plaintiff, who at one stage owned shares in something of value, but following the restructure, owned had no real entitlements to anything of value. She failed in her oppression suit and she had to pay costs. A perhaps useful footnote uh, for anyone concerned about the welfare of our plaintiff is that her rights pursuant to family law were still maintained. So the family court may indeed have something to say about her loss of the discretionary benefit she had from this regime. But for the moment and for our corporate oppression purposes, she wasn't able to point to that commercially unfair conduct. And so her claim failed. So I hope that assisted you. And I look forward to joining you for a coffee or two and another case note soon. Have a great day. Cheers.